Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 105 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sweaty guy. And joining us tonight, you know her from her writing <laughs> for such publications as Wicked Horror, Vague Visages, The List and many more. And also from the Queen of the Damned episode of this show, it's Joey Keogh. Joey, welcome back. Woo, it's me again. <laughs> I still have bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> It's comforting that some things don't change, though, in these trying and uncertain times. Yeah. <laughs> what we need is a little bit of certainty, and we can always rely on Joy to make the difficult decisions and come out swinging with things that are certainly controversial. You know, right before I got on here, my partner said to me, please don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I was with you for Queen of the Damned. I'm not with you for this. Like... <laughs> You'd swear it was a Serbian film or something. Yeah, yeah. You're very much an army of one. I know. All the more reason, though, I think. Joey, before we get into this, how have you been? How is everything? Kind of just, I'm just motioning to the world at large right now because everything's a bit fucked. How is lockdown treating you? Are you thriving? Are you surviving? I have good days and bad days. Most of the time, it's fine. I'm used to working at home anyway for writing, so that's kind of okay. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know. I didn't think I went out that much. And now that I can't go out, I'm like, I really want to go out. I just want to go to dinner. Can we go to dinner? <laughs> yeah, I've kind of found myself in the same spot, to be honest. Yeah, I've normalized things that I didn't expect to normalize. But um, I just sometimes I'm just like craving, yeah, I just somebody to make some food for me. Yeah. I made a nine inch cheesecake earlier today, Mitch, and I've eaten half of it. <laughs> So the next time you see me, I'm going to be like, just swollen, disgusting blob. (laughs) Evocative storytelling as ever. Uh, (laughs) Joey, 64 episodes ago, you were here doing Queen of the Damned. You are now here with Neil Marshall's Hellboy, the newest film chronologically that we've ever done on the show, and rocking a solid 17% on Rotten Tomatoes. Why this one today? I love this movie. I feel like that 17% must all be me. I love it. I saw saw this movie three times in the cinema with three different people. The last time I saw it was in 4DX. Wow. It could be, by the way, 17% be you if you've written a different review for all of your various outlets. Like, I don't know how they work that stuff out, but I definitely wrote a very, very positive review of this movie. It was so positive, in fact, that the PR offered me a free copy. She was like, do you want a copy? You, You can have one if you want. That's I mean, quite I, lovely. I, I felt terrible. Like, obviously, when the email went around, I was like, oh, you know, I gave it a positive review because they had no pull quotes whatsoever. She obviously was embarrassed for me. She was like, okay, love, do you want a free copy? <laughs> you leave me alone. <laughs> like, I've just got a vision of this PR woman walking through a warehouse, like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's just <laughs> boxes and boxes and boxes of Hellboy, but it's just never going to sell. And I'm just grabbing one from that and just shipping it off to you. There's a a real sadness to that. I've flipped perspectives on that and imagine it as being like, if I give you this free copy of Hellboy, will you please get out of my garden type situation? 
But that's definitely what it was. Trust me. Because <laughs> I volunteered this positive quote and she was like, okay, goodbye now. <laughs> like, move it along. <laughs> She's probably like, who are you? So, Joey, you've spoken about the fact that you love this. And I think it's fair to say that you love this more than probably 99% of the general populace. What is it about it that kind of ticked your boxes? There are a few things. I, first of all, just think it's fun. I just think it's fun and it's easy to watch. It's entertaining. I'm not going to say turn your brain off because I think that's kind of bullshit when people say that David Harbour was perfectly cast even more so you know than Ron Perlman which I know people will hate me for and then Ian McShane is so good as well I mean he's always good but I feel like their relationship is the heart of the movie and I think it's really 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 well drawn and really well done with the two of them and I feel like when there's practical stuff it's really really great like the whole Baba Yaga sequence is really good when they go to visit Merlin in that cave it's really good I mean it, it obviously was not filmed in London it was obviously filmed in like Romania or somewhere um, it's very obvious well, but that also mm -hmm. kind of I think gives it a kitschy charm what I think lets us down is like the really bad really really bad CGI <laughs> Like, the CGI mm. is just disgraceful. Yeah, kind of inexcusably so for a $50 million movie, I think. Right? Like, I rewatched this again today, and I can't believe this is only a 15 certificate. Like, I, I sound like an old woman. I would have thought this was an 18. Like, it's, it's so violent, so proper crunchy gore, and it's so, so profane as well. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you should mention that because I actually wrote that down. I think it was kind of towards the end, we'll get to it, but that kind of like demon rampage where people are getting kind of like all the skin pulled off their heads and stuff like that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what certificate was this in the UK? Because I looked at it and it was like, because you can't, like they can't have thrown $50 million at this and made it an 18. This was a kind of reaction to Deadpool. Oh, like, maybe. They, th they thought Deadpool made a lot of money. The Hellboy 3 that everyone was kind of clamoring for with Guillermo del Toro back isn't going to happen because uh, Guillermo del Toro and Mike Mignola who created Hellboy had a big bust up and a fallout that was sacked when Mike Mignola decided that he was going to come on and kind of be the executive producer or whatever on this one then the wheel started turning again and they thought the comic book's pretty dark let's kind of dispense with some of the more light-hearted stuff that Guillermo del Toro brought to it and lean heavier into something that's a hard R do you, you think those Del Toro movies are lighthearted? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. I watched those two back to back before watching this one, like before it came out in the cinema. And I thought they were so dour and so downbeat. I was just like, when is this going to, like they're beautiful films and the performances mm. are great. And it is like definitely Hellboy. I'm not going to be like, this isn't Hellboy. Like one of those losers. But, um, yeah, I just, I found those movies so, because I read more of the graphic novels after seeing this one and I mm -hmm. feel like I don't know I suppose if you kind of mix the two together that's more the spirit of Hellboy like neither gets it completely right, right. yeah although we know mm -hmm. Mike Mignola did sign off on this one which seems strange <laughs> because you know <laughs> saying that Mike Mignola signed off on this one Neil Marshall didn't have final cut on this either so yeah which you that. can tell like this isn't I love Neil Marshall and I think it does, there are definitely elements to it that feel like a Neil Marshall movie, but you can tell someone else has their hand in this who maybe doesn't mm. have yeah. as strong of a grasp on filmmaking as Neil Marshall does, maybe. Now, most of the time, the what was your history with this film stories are obviously a little bit further reaching than this, but obviously this only came out a year ago. So, Andy, what's your relationship with this film and the Hellboys from before? I read the graphic novels years ago when I was a much more kind of avid reader of graphic novels. I saw both Hellboy films in the cinema, both of the Guillermo del Toro ones, 
And this one I didn't see in the cinema, but I talked about it on the show, Mitch, if you I, remember. I, remember when yeah. it, I think when it got its home entertainment release, I think I rented it at first on Amazon. So we're very much in the realms of where we are now. And I think I talked about it a bit on the show. I sort of spoil how this conversation is going to go, but I wasn't massively impressed. There's stuff about it that I absolutely love, and we'll touch on it, but there's stuff that I just couldn't get on board with at all. Okay. In a shocking twist, I hadn't seen this until today. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, um, I have no prior experience with with the previous films or the graphic novels, I basically knew that it centered around a large red man. <laughs> that was uh, the, the full extent of it, to the point that when this started, I texted Andy and said, is his name just Hellboy, to make sure that it wasn't uh, the Sharks Called Jaws situation. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fair to say that once again, maintaining my 100% record, I am flying the blindest here. That's kind of good, though, because it's like three completely different perspectives yeah i think so and also i mean i did consider watching the first two uh beforehand and joey you warned me off doing that um i can't imagine why that might be <laughs> you could watch them now yeah <laughs> go back now before we get into this properly joey we do need you to take on the 30 second synopsis challenge uh for oh, this one uh how you feeling <laughs> There's, there's so much to cover <laughs> yeah i mean like like there's a lot of film in here there, yeah as you said earlier there, there is a lot of film in here there's a lot <laughs> to consider a lot of plot going on as well i think that this is this is going to be like potentially one of the most outwardly challenging tests of just distilling something down to its bullet points but are you ready to try I suppose. I promise I haven't practiced this, which I don't know okay. why that's a good thing. <laughs> no, 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 it is a good thing. I think it's much more than the spirit of the game to come in that way. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Andy, do I have 30 seconds on the clock? I'm surprised you even have to ask that anymore. Professional to the last. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one, synopsisize. Hellboy, in spite of being played by David Harbour, is a 20-something-year-old man who's also part devil with a giant um, red right hand, but that song is not used in the film, surprisingly. He has a man bun. His dad is Ian McShane. He's torn between the world of monsters and the world of men. Uh, there's an evil queen who wants to help the monsters to have some sort of uprising. But then also that's not as important as Hellboy's, you know, inner journey as a man and also as a monster. Time. <laughs> I like the fact that you managed to uh, get a setup and also some projecting in there. Very nice. Actually, it was very much Hellboy facts. <laughs> And then a little bit about the film in the last six seconds. Well, like, I don't, I don't know. Is someone listening to this because, you know, they know of Hellboy? Or are they like Mitch and they're like, is his name just Hellboy? Or does he have a real name like Alan? Brian <laughs> Hellboy. Brian Hellboy. This is the time when I have finally shown too many cards. <laughs> <laughs> No, what you need to do, you need to start lying about the things that you've seen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think we should uh, just jump into this. And I'll take the lead on this one, given my rich and storied history of having consumed everything to do with Hellboy over the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 517 AD. Gotta love it. Our story begins. Yeah, I wasn't ready for this. Again, I... Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean you weren't ready for this? You couldn't possibly be ready for anything. No. And, like, I mean... I haven't seen any of these films, but I'm not completely blind to it, you know? Because I remember there was a massive fuss about this. Because I, I remember the timeline of this being announced and being made and things like that, and seeing the trailer for it at the time and all that kind of thing. It's just not the kind of thing that I would gravitate towards, but there was such a kind of weird groundswell of negative internet opinion before this had even seen the light of day that it kind of piqued my curiosity. So... I did have a vague idea of kind of like, not really the story, but the setting. And I didn't expect this to start in 517 AD. Do you feel like if it started in Mexico, that would have made more sense? 
Because watching it this time, I felt like, oh, why didn't it start here? This is way more exciting. With the phone and the, like, that's a good joke where he keeps breaking his phone screen. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I, <laughs> I think that what I would say is, because I didn't know what to expect tonally or anything like that, and I would say that I found the historical stuff and the voiceover, and because that's played for laughs in such an obvious way, I was kind of like, no idea what we're getting here. And I think that when it jumps to Mexico, which we'll get to, I think that that is a more accurate tone setter for what you're about to get. But I don't mm. hate... 517 AD stuff as an opener. To answer your question, I would say that starring in Mexico would have made more sense, but I don't <laughs> mind this as a choice. I don't know. I like the pu- like pulling the eyeball out immediately. I think that's cool. Like it starts off proper gory right away. Literally the opening shot of the film, isn't it? A bird pulling an eyebrow. It is. Uh, that's the first, pulling, the first shot of the movie, yeah. Pretty, pretty bold stuff. Um, and then you just have Ian McShane just effing and blinding, which I love. Uh, yeah, against the backdrop of a man versus creatures war that has uh, spanned a fairly hefty amount of time. I started writing down when we got told about Vivian Nimue and a couple of the characters that are about to get, like uh, Gnida, Vivian, always... Vivian, like they, they, she's only referred to as Vivian twice in the film, and both times I was like, that. "What, <laughs> Vivian? I thought she was just called Nimue." The Nimue sounds more grand. Like my dad's girlfriend's name is Vivian. We call her Viv. <laughs> <laughs> you can't imagine anyone being like, yo, Viv, you want to take over the world. Do you know what I mean? Unless v- it was Merlin, obviously. Viv, the queen of blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't unring that bell now. As soon as uh, we got introduced to characters called Nimue and Gnida, I started writing down phonetic pronunciations of them all, like Good phonetic spellings. That won't insulate me against getting some of them wrong, I'm sure. Yeah, she's cursed humanity. Uh, she is a witch. She's plagued, should I say, humanity. I, again, based on what I knew about this going in, I wasn't ready for like King Arthur and Merlin and this kind of brand of mythology and things. Because um, they go to surrender to her ostensibly and then kill mm. her because she's been betrayed by um, a witch from her coven. Yeah, not just kill her, kill her with Excalibur. <laughs> I like all this. I, I like the death. It, I think in terms of setting the tone visually, in terms of how violent it's going to be, I think that this does the job. I yeah, I felt like, um, you know, when her head's kind of rolling about in the ground and it's still shouting and raging and it reminds me a lot of when Ash cuts Evil Ash's head off and throws it in the grave. Mm. That's just went right over Mitch's head. Thought... Oh no, I've, se- I've seen that. <laughs> sure you have, wink. <laughs> I've seen all of the Ash movies. <laughs> but yeah, they need to banish her and make sure that there is no possible way that she could ever be brought back. So she is chopped up, put into separate containers like so many batch-cooked meals, and dispersed liberally across the country. <laughs> Sure. I'm um, a bit horcruxy, this, I think. Ooh, it is. Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mitch, your, your Death Eaters tattoo's showing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guy who knew the term Death Eaters, moving on. <laughs> oh, too um, But yeah, like you say, Joey, after all this happens, uh, we jump to Tijuana in the present day and we meet Big John Hellboy himself. Mm. Um, He's been dispatched to a Mexican wrestling event to find a runaway vampire investigator by the name of Ruiz. I love this whole sequence. I think this whole sequence is great. Like the Spanish cover of Rock Me Like a Hurricane. Like that's so good. Yeah, I bought hard into that. I I thought you were going to say you bought the song. Why not? I like all this too, because obviously uh, he goes in there to try and find this guy. As it turns out, this guy Ruiz is now this kind of major Mexican wrestling persona. And we find out also a vampire. (laughs) And I think that as a kind of like double reveal, the way that it rolls out is quite nice. I mean, I love the, you don't see Hellboy right away. And you have the joke with the phone with his big finger. And he's like, oh shit, not again. And then when he eventually has to take his hood down, it's such a <gasps> moment. And I think he looks really cool. I feel like all the money went on his makeup 
and not Agreed. anything else. Because I think he looks really cool and his horns mm. look so painful as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when the first kind of promo image of David Harbour came out about this, came out from this film, I was blown away because mm-hmm. I, I think like a lot of people now and kind of Ron Perlman's Hellboy is so kind of rooted in our minds or Benicio Del Toro's Hellboy. When I saw that, I thought, this is going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And when I first saw Hellboy in this, I thought, ah, everything's going to be fine. Like, he is... And then it kind of Like, he's unraveled. built as well. Like, he is... Oh, he's he's done some work. And he, But he looks tall, he looks imposing, but he's also kind of like a big teddy bear. And he has, like, his little man bun and his weird sort of, like, beard going on. I just think the styling is really cool for a monster and i don't know a young man like how young is he supposed to be he Good seems I think he's 21 i think hellboy fuck <laughs> right okay um, sorry I mean, one thing i will say about hellboy's look in this is i think he's decidedly less robbery looking than yes, Ron genuinely looks like a man slash monster i think that i have some problems with certain elements of this which we'll get to as we go on as well but none of them lie with David Harbour. No, he's fantastic. Oh, no, I, I think he's great. Uh, actually, I think he's so good, he deserved better from the final product because he pretty much, I mean, Lovejoy swans in and out and he does his thing and he's amazing, but we knew that. Mm. With David Harbour coming into this, I'd only ever seen David Harbour in Stranger Things before I knew he was coming in to do this. And for him to just kind of swan in and take this character and make it completely his own, but at the same time, I guess, in the delivery and stuff, still kind of paying a bit of lip service to the way Ron Perlman did it. He's not exactly paying homage, but it's definitely respectful of what's come before. Mm. But it's still, like, he has to deliver some stupid lines in this, but he makes bad dialogue funny. It's a very soulful performance. He gets that petulance so well, especially in his interactions with Ian McShane. Like, you're not thinking, wait a minute, is Ian McShane even old enough to be his dad? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, I just wish the final product had lived up to how strong he is in this. Mm. But we find out that, yeah, Ruiz, not only is he hiding out in Mexico, he is now a Mexican wrestler. He spots Hellboy arriving and they then end up fighting in the ring in front mm. of an audience. And it's at this point that we find out that Ruiz is also a vampire. You mean when he turns into a giant man bat? Yeah, when he turns into a giant man bat. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is true a lot of a lot of the kind of combat and violence stuff in this. Like the way it plays out visually in terms of like choreography and the way it's shot and things is pretty cool. But yeah, the seams are showing on the CGI right from the off here, aren't they? Mm. Like why not just do some great makeup, at least for his face? Like even if he looked like a buffy demon, who cares? That would have been so much better. Because you know you're going to have to do the CG to have him be a man bat anyway. That's fine. But that's forgivable if you have some cool makeup and we get at least one good shot of him. Well, I think there is some makeup there. I think that the first stage when he pulls his mask off is makeup and it's just just enhanced with CGI. Yeah, it gets progressively Um, worse. Yeah, but the minute they start taking the CGI and take like using the CGI and taking the makeup away Mm. and just kind of going, right, well, that's our first stage there. We've got that. That's fine. Uh, That's locked in. Let's start now digitally changing him into the bat. You're like, oh, no. No, don't do that. (laughs) He actually Accidentally kills Ruiz. I think it's fair to say accidentally. Yeah. No, no. I don't. It, it can't be an accident at this point. It's against his. It's against his better judgment and what he would ideally prefer from this situation, given that Ruiz is his friend. But he, he's a monster hunter. But he doesn't know his own strength. We know that from the phone. He keeps breaking his phone. He doesn't know how strong he is. Andy, this was definitely probably touched on in the other films. <laughs> <laughs> Ruiz, with his dying breath, prophesizes the end times. Elboy's taken back to the BPRD, the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Mm-hmm. Well done. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah, our first meeting with Ian McShane, his 
kind of Earth Dad. Sure, yep, fine, I'm happy with that. Yep, uh, Professor Trevor Broom. Oh, he's so good. When he's shaving his horns, oh, it's such a lovely moment. Yeah, I, the, the thing with Hellboy's horns, I've always really liked that Me his too. horns embarrass him, so he files them down. Never mind the fact that he's bright red. Yeah, and exactly. Enormous. Like, he wasn't uh, going to blend in anyway. <laughs> uh, it's just a really sweet thing that he does, and I love it so much. I think it, it's that point where he's kind of been, is there not some conversation about being taught to shave, which is kind of the, I guess it's kind of that rite of passage that you see in films a lot when a dad teaches his son to shave. Mm. Kind of like that. Yeah, I think that this is a nice way to introduce this relationship. And uh, Joey, I think you're probably right when you said earlier on that amidst all the more ambitious and more action and kind of more kind of fantasy elements of this, I think that you're right to say that the relationship between Trevor and Hellboy is definitely the kind of backbone of this thing. Definitely. It anchors everything. Like even in the end when it goes, we'll get to it when it goes totally crazy. Those performances still shine through. Like I feel like there's a really nice natural rapport between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Now at this point, we start getting some pretty serious names being thrown at us here when we're getting the context for Hellboy's next mission to the point that I was kind of like, I... It took me, this film's two hours long, and I would say that it probably took me about two hours 45 to watch. Um, <laughs> and the reason for that was, it was like, he was like, ah, perhaps you'll remember the Osiris Club. And I was like, started scribbling the Osiris Club. And while I was writing that, he was like, um, is it a British occult society formed in the 1800s by the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra? And I was like, for fuck's sake, paused it. And I was like, <laughs> just try, <laughs> trying to get all these names down. Um, because we do hear a lot of stuff all at once here, kind of for context. But basically, we hear that the BPRD and the Osiris Club, based in England... In inverted commas, England. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's England because there's castles, big castles yeah. and books. And lots of green fields. Very, very mm-hmm. green. And a nice little bridge over a river. That's the England <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, lots of sumptuous rural mansions and verdant greenery. No cows, though. Where are all the yeah. cows and sheep? And there's no animals grazing whatsoever. Like, are there yeah. no farms? Where it's supposed to be in like Yorkshire or something, isn't it? Yeah, nary a cow to speak of. <laughs> like it's strange. <laughs> Production designer phoning it in. Yeah, just take the both cats together. Um, Hellboy has to go to Britain to fight giants. Is the TLDR of this exchange? Hmm. Well, yeah, Mitch, that's true, but you do get a little bit before this where you first meet Gruagak. Gach. Sorry, what? What? The, what, the, what? The pig fairy guy. I'll call him Pig I, I Face. Think, I think you mean Stephen Graham, pig demon, as I have written down oh, here. Sorry, Scouser Pig. <laughs> Stephen Graham. It is Stephen Graham. It definitely is, but his character name is something like it's, Gruagach. It's, it's Gruagach, I believe. But he's, I think he's so good. I wish the CG was better because I think his performance is just crazy and I love it so much. And he sounds so scouse like the u.s how do they even know what he was saying over in the u.s not got a clue you do have to wonder (laughs) but what i will say again is i actually think that a lot of time because this is such a featured character there's been a fair amount of work done to try to make him look decent i again i think there's some practical stuff here enhanced with digital because it looks quite good unless he has to do any massive movement (laughs) i'll give you that it doesn't look the worst I mean, there's stuff in the finale that looks much, much worse than this, and it's on a much bigger scale as well. So he doesn't know. He doesn't look the worst, but you're right. It's like with anything, once he has to move. Because that's the thing with practical stuff and with puppets. It's the ricketiness that you love because that's what gives it tactility. And because he's so smooth, you're just like, oh, well, I'm just looking at a cartoon. I I think this kind of CGI over, like you say, like a vaguely ropey practical thing takes you out of it in a totally different way that I think is far worse. It does. It's true. But yeah, at this point, we, we just know that he has been wronged by Hellboy at some point in the past. 
uh, for some reason, but it's not really alluded to much at this point. But he's having a conversation with a witch called Baba Yaga, which uh, the Netflix oh. subtitles very studiously called Baby Yaga. <laughs> <laughs> Like Baby Driver. <laughs> to the point that I'd written it in my notes a couple of times and I was like, that's a weird name. No. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, eventually, um, eventually it kind of sussed it. Baba Yaga basically tells Grugach, Stephen Graham, that the swiftest route to vengeance would be to uh, gather up the component parts of Nimue, kind of recover them and put them together and kind of go out from there. I kind of assumed that this would be, because I, I think that the first act of this film was like MacGuffin's Ahoy, because I was kind of like, I was almost sure that this was going to be like, his side quest for the film as opposed to something that resolved itself in like 20 minutes. Mm. Mm. Similarly, when uh, it was like Hellboy flying off to England to fight giants, obviously we'll get to how that plays out, but I kind of assumed that those two things would just marry together at some point rather than both of those plot points effectively ending fairly sharply. Mm. It's like, it's not a positive or a negative thing, it's just a thought. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it, it kind of has the feeling almost of someone trying to put a load of the different graphic novel stories together and they've thrown in like a load of different things that don't kind of really work together. Like, I mean, I forgot the bit with the giants. I mean, I knew that they were setting that up to betray him. But when that happens, you're like, huh? What's going on? Like, why is he here? Why is he yeah. doing this? It doesn't even feel, I understand it's a job and his dad's like, you have to go there. But it kind of feels like a weird side quest that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. But I mean, I don't know. Maybe Mike I, Mignola was like, this is such a great story. Put that in there. It's really just in service of the fact that everyone wants to kill Hillboy because he is ultimately the downfall of humanity. He is essentially Armageddon personified. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you could make, it to be very, very generous, he could be, it could also be making a point about sort of posh English toffs and how they hate minorities or how they hate the other and how they want to kind of rid the world of them. Like, is it making sort of a point about that? Maybe college thesis. <laughs> Somebody. I'm casually installing that as the truth. I'm happy with it. <laughs> I think that the giant storyline, basically, it feels quite unnecessary in a film that is already two hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I feel like that's outrageous. By the way, that's an outrageous runtime. Yeah, and I think that there was probably more narratively expedient ways to get to this point that kind of didn't need to touch on all the bases that it does. But I do want to. I don't want to get past the kind of uh, the first meeting that he has with the Osiris Club without just kind of touching on a couple of things because we do meet their seer slash medium almost uh, Elizabeth Hutton. Yeah, second time in a couple of months that Sophie Okinedo's popped up in something that we've done. Mitch this time has feet on her feet as opposed to hands like she did in Aeon Flux. Of course, of course. And yeah, in the kind of fake out of him getting ready to go and fight these giants with the Osiris Club, we also find out that Trevor Ian McShane has kind of raised Hellboy as his own when his initial mission was to go and kill him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like the flashback here. Uh, much as Guillermo del Toro did in his film, they pay real kind of service to the characters and the way the characters look. If you were kind of aware of the graphic novels before this, you would have just assumed that they had paid real lip service to the characters that were in the Guillermo del Toro film but I think this looks great mm -hmm. this this kind of Hellboy birthing sequence if you like or the finding sequence plus Lobster Johnson is in it Lobster Johnson that's the name of my new band I love Lobster Johnson and Thomas Hayden Church is having such a great time with that role as well <laughs> did you guys did you guys watch till the end to get to the two post credit sequences uh-huh yeah. when he turns up and uh, when the lobster lobster johnson turns up kills a bunch of nazis i was looking at it and i was like this is like my flavor of preposterous mm -hmm. 
like, was like, I like that a lot. But also, I was kind of like, you can't really frame that as a criticism anyway. Because I was looking at it and I was like, if I gave Inglorious Bastards a pass for historical revisionism of this nature, then I feel like I have to with this as well. <laughs> Sorry, Mitch. Historical revisionism of this. Um, if you think for a minute that the BPRD would want you to know about the missions that they are doing, <laughs> you, you're wrong, my friend. I've been like, such a fool. Yeah, you, you've got another thing coming. You've no idea what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, I've been so blind. <laughs> this sequence ends just on another Inglorious Bastards tip. Uh, this scene does play out with somebody being branded in the forehead. Mm, that's true. Mm, yeah. We rejoin after this, the Horcrux hunt for Grugach, who we see him find the first one, and then the next and the next thing we know with that story, he's got four of them. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but then if you're talking about runtime and, you know, wasting time on side quests, you don't really want to see him getting every single one. Oh, like, I 100% agree with you on that score. I just, I think that it's framed as something that is going to take him the whole film. That's true. But then if it took him the I whole think... film, there would be no adversary for Hellboy. I'm not <laughs> saying it was a good idea. I'm just saying that's how it looks. <laughs> Given how gory this sequence is in the church, I would have liked just a flash of him collecting all the other bits because presumably there was a fair amount of death and murder involved. That's true. And I like when he has to make the guy break his vow of silence. That's pretty funny. <laughs> a montage of him gathering the other ones would have been good. Mm. But yeah, we're off on a giant hunt very briefly here. Uh, so at this point, we find out that Hellboy is ambushed and one of the Osiris B-tier guys spears him through the stomach. I think that both this because he's kind of left for dead before the Osiris guys are attacked by the giants. So there's a fight here first between Hellboy and uh, the Osiris guys after the bait and switch of the betrayal plays out. And then also of Hellboy fighting with the giants. I think that both of these visually are really good. You're not going to mention the fact that these Osiris guys are dressed like knights in full suits of armor. And one guy, not only is he wearing a suit of armor, he has a full deer's head. Choices. <laughs> he looks fucking ridiculous imagine you were just out fishing right and you just turned around and you'd be like wow look at you yeah, I mean, i'd I mean, be more surprised to see that guy than hellboy but like it works well when he's talking down to hellboy and he's like oh you think we would need your help because he looks like such an idiot <laughs> like that's and then hellboy also doesn't want to wear the hat he's like i'm not wearing a hat you losers i look cool <laughs> Both of the fights here, especially when he kind of comes to and has to fight the giants, I think that they both play out really nicely. I, I really enjoy both of them, although I did at this point feel like the soundtrack to this film was repeatedly punching me in the face. Yeah, because, mm. well, there's two different things going on. There's, you know, it kind of is a case of the suicide squads with a lot of, like, strange music cues throughout, but then also... That's, a, that's a great comparison, because I thought the exact same thing about that film, but it didn't occur to me while I was watching this. Yeah, I, I was going to say Kick-Ass does the same thing. And don't forget, David Harbour is also in both. He has a small role in Suicide Squad. Huh. I don't hate Suicide Squad. <laughs> I realise that it's trash. I realise that it's trash and it makes no sense, but I think there are elements to it that are really, really fun. We will see you in six months, madam. <laughs> Can you imagine? I just like all my credibility just in the toilet. But, um, <laughs> but I feel like the score for Hellboy, the actual score itself, is this sort of weird new metal score, which mm. like Vince Mancini, who is the um, film critic for Film Drunk at Uproxx, he described it as what a teenage metalhead's idea of cool would be, the whole film, and he liked it. And I think that's really, really fitting. And the score totally fits with that. Because as you say, sometimes it just comes in and just punches you in the face for no reason. 
Like with the troll fight, we don't need a big bombastic score, but it's there. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's got to a point at this point where I was like, this is fucking relentless, man. <laughs> <laughs> so even though that this fight is a big, massive CG mess, there's some really cool like little moments in it. And I think, although it doesn't always work visually, I think the the idea and the the kind of choreography of how it would play out is really cool because like everything kind of comes to bear and there's so many little things that one giant's got that's used against another giant and yeah i really i really like this bit like this is one of my my favorite bits in the film actually this giant fight like the fact that the camera is supposed to be mounted like on a giant shoulder or on his club or whatever i think that's a really cool idea it doesn't always work as you guys say but it is a cool idea and some parts of it do really put you right in the midst of it and then with the sword as well like the reveal of just how big that sword is that the camera just keeps going back 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 yeah, I think that this gets far more right than wrong. He's ultimately rescued by someone who we learn is uh, Alice Monaghan. She turns up in a van, what? rescues him, and he wakes up in her flat. She is a medium, but also somebody who is rescued, again, in a way that's not really kind of like explained at this point just yet by Hellboy when she was a baby. Mm. What's her thoughts on Sasha Lane here? So I love her. I think she's amazing. She's so incredible in American Honey. And of the, mm-hmm. the two English, in inverted commas, accents, I think hers is a little bit more convincing, even though they have her say, and I've written them all down, bollocks, wicked, todger, and a tenor, just to let you know um, that she's mm. English. I had bollocks and todger written down. <laughs> and it's all in that one scene, in her flash. I laughed my fucking ass off when she said todger. <laughs> I, I just don't know if anyone, I don't care if you're putting on a fake accent or not, I think the word itself is inherently silly and I don't think anyone can deliver that word with conviction. But she she definitely sounds more convincing than the other accent that comes up a little bit later on. So I'll give her that. Unbelievably bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the problem with the way that she sounds in this has way more to do with the very poorly chosen and kind of like crowbarred in Englishness, if you like, or some of the affectations and idioms that they have her saying. Definitely, because if she just spoke normally, like, I think probably the best example of an American actor doing an English accent is Lake Bell in Man Up, and that's because she went to college just outside of London, so she had a genuine kind of accent, but she mm-hmm. doesn't run around being like, books. Do you know what I mean? Because she doesn't need to. You just believe it, and I feel like you're right. It's almost like it's signposting the fact that she's not actually English. Like, I don't think anyone watching this is going to think, oh yeah, that's an English person, just using English words that they, like, slang that they always use. Yeah, it completely undoes what it sets out to do, I think, as a choice. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if it's because was she not doing a good enough accent that they were like, okay, we're going to have to put some stuff in here so people aren't confused. Like, I don't know. Or was it just that whoever was writing the script was thinking, yeah, this is what English people sound like. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, I, I think potentially the latter. Yeah. At this point, Trevor shows up with uh, some heavy artillery, including Ben, is it Damio? Daimyo. Daimyo. This is I why he... I wrote down all those phonetic pronunciations so I could get these 100% correct. Sorry, I thought his mm. first name was Daimion. I thought that was his name. <laughs> no, his first name's Ben. Oh my god, well I must tell you, this character in the world of Hellboy is actually American. He's a US Marine. So why the fuck... Do they have Daniel Day Kim doing a terrible approximation of an English accent? This character actually is a bit of an interesting story. I don't know if you know, because originally Ed Screen was cast in this role. Who was? Okay. Oh, Ed Screen. Oh, I don't like him. 
Yeah, well, he was originally cast in the role, and then at least he's um, actually English, to be fair. Well, uh, that wasn't the, that wasn't the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue came from when he was thinking, "Hmm, I'm gonna. This is gonna get a, a lot of fucking flack about whitewashing and, oh. and things like that." Oh, you're right. I remember. So, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, it's all coming back to me now. You're right. Yeah. So he said, "Do you know what?" I'm going to step away from this, and I think you should give the job to someone of Korean heritage. Um, so that's what happened. And Daniel Day Kim got cast in the role and manages to affect the worst accent in the film. Wait, I can do an approximation of it. Wait, I've been doing this like with my friends since we saw this movie where he goes, I thought we were supposed to be fighting monsters, not working with them. <laughs> and you're like, what? where are you supposed to be from? <laughs> like, what is that? It gets worse as the film goes on. Like, and it it's not even necessarily that you can hear the American coming through. It's just that it's not a convincing accent. No, it, it's one of those, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm English. I'm vaguely English. Where am I from? Oh, who knows? Somewhere nice. Oh, just a way to say the nice bit. <laughs> I wrote a note down here that didn't mean to come out like snark, but it has. I have got Enter Damio, special ops guy. Vivian's remaining arm is at the Osiris Club. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but yes, the last part of Nimue, her arm has been um, at the Osiris Club for safekeeping for quite some time. So off we all go there. Something is not right. We know this immediately because as soon as uh, the kind of mystery machine pulls into the car park, Alice has a psychic migraine. <laughs> if I had a pound. <laughs> you On know your- when, she, when she says, oh, can't you hear them screaming? Can't you hear them screaming? I mean... Does she not know they're dead people because she speaks to dead people? I mean, obviously they can't hear anyone screaming because they're not reacting, but you know you can hear mm. dead people. So are you not like, oh, there are spirits in here? Like, what? It's so strange. <laughs> can you not hear them screaming? No, they don't hear the dead people. It would be... It would be such a backhanded superpower if you could talk to the dead and the living, but you couldn't tell the difference. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's what it implies. It implies that she can't tell. Even though when she's sitting with Hellboy in her flat, she's like, what's that? What's that you're saying over there? So you know when the dead are talking to you. It's just very strange. Yeah. uh It was at this point that I wrote down, was this an 18? Because the kind of bloody tableau that they stumble on in here is is pretty gruesome. It's rough. It's rough. And I mean, is yeah. it before, oh no, it must be after this that they're sewing her back together. Oh my God. Like that is rough. That's like touching body horror, I think, when they're sewing her back together. I think so too. And I mean, obviously it's practical, which really helps. But, and then when he's yelling yeah. at the nuns, be careful, you slags. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> this is the tongue like all over the place. We'll get, we'll get back to that sequence because we're not too far away from it. But um, I, I think that tonally this swings wild. I mean, are you referring to what I have written as vomit spirit? Alice reveals the fact that she can invoke dead spirits and spew them out as ectoplasmic soul echoes. It's just, I mean, what a way to represent that on screen. And again, it is like a teenage metalhead, because only a teenage metalhead would think, yeah, that's going to look really cool and gross. The rest of us are like, why isn't it just a nice wispy smoke, like everywhere else? It wants to be gross. It so desperately wants to be gross. The digital effect never quite manages it. It looks, it looks terrible. It looks like, it... bad. It looks bad. I feel bad for the actors because obviously it happens twice. The actors who have to act through that, and then they would see that afterwards and think, "Oh my god, yeah, this uh-huh. is the representation yeah. that you chose." And then when she's done, she spits out like water. So that kind of—I think it's more slime. I think it's thin slime. But that robs it of its grossness as well. Like she should be coughing up like proper chunks and going, "Oh, it's so Agreed. disgusting." 
Because she snaps at, what's his name? Diamon. <laughs> Diamon. I thought that was his name. You know what, it, I thought his name was Diamon. <laughs> it, should have been, it should have been as gross as Extraordinary. Oh my god, I love Extraordinary. Oh, what a it's film. It's so good, yeah. What a film. Um, Andy, you said ectoplasmic soul echoes. Uh, Joey, how did you describe it? Vomit spirit. When she brought Hutton back, I had it down as exposition slug. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you can criticize this movie for a lot of things, but I don't think it does get too bogged down in exposition. Even though a lot of stuff happens, I don't think they spend too much of the runtime just standing around being like, and then that, you know, like in Marvel movies where it's like, and then he did this. And then she did that. And now here we are. Like, there isn't too much of that, at least. Because as soon as it strays into that territory, something just nuts happens. Like, someone just comes flying through the wall. And it's like, we have to find this thing. That's (laughs) true. That's a fair shout, actually. Considering how long this is and how much stuff that is in here, it doesn't get too bogged down over explanation. Which might be it's failing. Because, you know, people like Mitch watch it and they're like, is Hellboy's first name Alan? I don't know. We never learned. I, I, I like, I like, there's elements of this that I don't think work, but I mean, me being an idiot, I'm not going to put the blame for that at the feet of Neil Marshall. But do you feel like you follow <laughs> it from what's here? Or do you feel like there's a whole lot of backstory that you're missing? Because it shouldn't really feel that way because this isn't nest like this isn't a third part to Del Toro's film, like far yeah. from it. It's supposed to be its own standalone picture. So I feel like someone should be able to watch it and understand most of the Hellboy mythos. I'm not going to say that I understood most of like most of the mythos of Hellboy broadly, but what I would say is that like I never got I never got sufficiently lost that I had no fucking clue what was going on. Yeah. So I would say on a scale of 1 to understanding it perfectly, I was probably sitting somewhere between a 6 and a 7. Mm. <laughs> I I, under, I understood the stakes by the time we got to the end. <laughs> oh, that's what's going on. Okay. We get a little bit of a backstory in another flashback here, actually. And of the flashbacks in the film, I think it's one of the better ones because we kind of simultaneously find out a little bit more about the manner in which Hellboy saved Alice when she was a child, but also the reason why uh, Grugach is so mad at him. Because mm. uh, we find out that the kind of, kind of fairy that uh, he is they kidnap kids and leave something in their place. Yeah, it's the, the changeling from um. That's from Iron. Yes, the changeling. If you guys have seen the Hallow, that deals with that pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Hellboy kind of caught this and therefore simultaneously rescued their child, but also denied Grugak this chance at a human life. See, watching Grugak, Grugak running around in that nappy, it's preposterous. Oh, that's a funny sequence, though. Stop it! I'm a little baby. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Although I don't fully understand how Hellboy convinces him to bring it back. Like, he just kind of yells, I'm going to make you pay for this if you don't bring this baby back. And then they do. Yeah, maybe that was enough. Are they that afraid of Hellboy? Is that what we're supposed to infer from that? Is that he's just that intimidating? But ultimately, shouldn't everyone be utterly terrified of Hellboy at every single time? Well, I mean, that moment when he's sitting in their living room reading through the looking glass, like, that is such a funny sight gag. Where you just see these two, like, totally normal lower class people and then it cuts to him and he just l- lowers the book like it's so good yeah he's also got a hilarious designer stubble in this oh he does i like that when they do flashbacks he has different facial hair that's a nice touch as well <laughs> he looks like george michael oh george don't speak ill of the mm. dead i didn't say it was a bad thing. george made that look work <laughs> finally a point we can all agree on <laughs> But they go with Daimyo to HQ. He declares privately that Hellboy has to die. HQ? HQ is Codswell at Fish and Chip Shop. Yes, with yes. the lady from EastEnders. How cool is that? Yeah, she she is Gary Oldman's is sister. Is she? 
she's really good she's, she's really good in this when she asks for his id and he's like what <laughs> seriously i'm hellboy yeah for all the time she's in it oh well, yeah it's a nice touch for actual english people yeah <laughs> aside from the fact yeah it's nice to see one every now and again but like aside from the fact that you're like this is definitely not london at all like when he even the little street bit when they're going in or when he's going to that Taylor or whatever the fuck he's going to. The gunsmith. The gunsmith is that. It made me think of, um, <laughs> oh, what's that terrible film? Kingsman of Kingsman, the Secret Service. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, no, God, not again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because London has a gunsmith on every corner. It's just, I was like, why not just, I mean, anything else? Like a fucking haberdashery would have made more sense. Even though, uh, like at least Englishness, you know what I mean? Like a gunsmith. <laughs> And then I don't understand why he wants Hellboy to die. Why does he hate Hellboy so much? The whole conversation, everyone hates Hellboy. And they should all hate Hellboy. He's the downfall of him. He's the ruin of man. Oh, but he's so soft. He's like a big teddy bear. I mean, he, <laughs> let, he lets that scorpion sting him. He's like, it's okay, buddy. You you go on. You're just doing what you're doing. Yeah. Poor Hellboy. Um, <laughs> right. At this point, a couple of pretty good sequences back to back here. In fact, one pretty good sequence and then the best sequence in the film, I think, because we have a pretty good, in terms of like just watching two good actors do good work, the Hellboy and Trevor falling out. Oh, yes. And he has to deliver that great speech about slaughtering his brothers and sisters. And also his dad points out, oh, you just fancy her. And he's like, we're not even talking about her. <laughs> so good. So after this argument between Hellboy and Trevor, uh, Hellboy storms out gets into the lift and by hook or by crook ends up at Baba Yaga's house. And it's at this point, I think that we genuinely get the sequence where the film does its scariest and best work. This is the best bit in the film. For my money, the best creature design and the best mm -hmm. performance from someone in a creature suit. It's amazing. You can tell it's a contortionist as well. Like by the way they bend over. That's the kind of thing you can't get that with CGI. I think it's that twisty Troy guy. Is it? I think so. Yeah. I feel like I knew at the time when I saw it and now I've forgotten. But I love her weird saggy tits as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, especially yeah. when she goes on her back, it's so disturbing. Just the way they move, it's horrible. And her eye and her teeth, like, it's just so gross. Mm. They really have gone out their way to make Baba Yaga as gross as humanly possible. Mm. Yeah, she's even missing an eye. And we learned that that is because uh, Hellboy in a previous encounter has shot it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she hasn't quite got over that yet. No. No, no. That is an, that is an old grudge dying very hard. Yeah, because they have this awkward but kind of cool and very creepy encounter that ultimately, basically, she kind of ends up leaning on him to basically an eye for an eye transaction. Mm. Yeah, yeah. By the way, she's just sitting eating bowls upon bowls of like child chowder. Yeah, and he avoids eating one by pushing it away on purpose and being like, whoops, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think the physical comedy is so good because he's so aware of his size and his big hand and just stuff like that. It's like, it's small, but it's so clever. Mm -hmm. The big hand, right? The hand of doom. It doesn't really get much of an outing in this film at all, really. But there's that one really good bit where someone, I think it's one of the posh toffs is like, what does it do? And he's like, smashes stuff real good. Yeah, yeah. And they just kind of leave it at that. I don't know. It's I know what you mean, but I feel like they've done that. Maybe they've done that purposely. I don't know. Like as a, I'm trying to, I'm giving it more credit than it's due. <laughs> I'm he's like, just no, they considered this. <laughs> just to the casual observer, he's just got a fucking big hand. And he's like, yeah, what of it? <laughs> um, question, just like speaking as someone who hasn't seen the other Hellboy films. Uh huh. See, like obviously, a lot of this stuff is played for laughs in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting going in. 
Sure. I think that the tone of this one, despite the fact that it's extremely violent and in instances like this, like genuinely quite creepy, I think that the tone overall was quite light. Mm. Sure. Yeah. It's, How does that compare fun. to the others? Well, me and Joey seem to be in a, in a, a kind of disagreement about this because I think the other ones are much more lighthearted than this, and Joey disagrees. She thinks they're a bit bleaker. Yeah, I think they're really bleak. I don't know if it's Perlman or if it's if it's John Hurt or I don't know. There's something just even Abe Sapien, I feel like is such a tragic character. And then his relationship with a human woman, which is one thing I have to say, I'm glad they didn't do this time around. Like they didn't push mm. Hellboy to have that weird romantic relationship with a human lady. I think that's kind of gross. Yeah, I don't know. I think those films, I don't think it's a downside to those films. I think that's kind of what he was going for. They're more emotional, whereas this is more sort of madcap and fun. It's not that I think they're depressing because I don't think they're depressing, but I do think they're a little bit more downbeat. Okay. Well, Mitch, you know what you're going to have to do now. You're going to have to watch them both and <laughs> see which side of the line you fall down on. Uh, you're near my da, Andy. I'll watch them when I want. i'm just curious um but obviously like i say here she kind of suggests that she'll give away nimue's location in exchange for his eye he initially agrees and kind of bails on the deal he gets tilted out of her gigantic belegged house (laughs) Mm, see the bit where she kisses him yeah i was gonna say the kiss (laughs) (laughs) that's fucking disgusting and he's like "Uh, why have you got hair on your tongue my uh, my mate turned to me in the cinema and went, "That's what it's like kissing you, heh heh heh." Thanks. You wish, buddy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, leave it to both of you for not letting me blow past that one. Thank you. It's very important. Mm. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, he's thrown out at this point, cast out. He has the information that he needs, but he's also cursed to lose a loved one. Mm, um, yes. As because of his kind of insubordination and his kind of bailing on this deal. We learn a little bit about Daimyo's scars at this point in a total uh, meeting that could have been an email flashback. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but basically just like a kind of an encounter with Jaguars, I think is the easiest way to sum that up. I have to say, though, Throughout the movie, he's obviously like he's jamming his leg with this kind of antidote type thing. I think if you compare it to Russell Crowe in The Mummy with the Jekyll and Hyde, which was basically the same setup, uh-huh. at least it's it's not that obvious or that bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? True. Like at least there is some element of mystery to it. Because even when you see the flashback with the Jaguars, you don't kind of realize that he's like a aware Jaguar man. You just mm, think yeah. that he was attacked. Yeah, that's true. Is that what we're calling it? A weird Jaguar man? I don't know. (laughs) That feels like quite a lot of syllables, but I'm happy with it. But that that flashback is quite video gamey, I feel like. It has that sheen to it where you're just like, oh, they shot this on the side of a soundstage. 100%, absolutely. (laughs) With someone Um, holding up some bushes. Um, en route to the kind of face-off with Nimue that is going to kind of set up the third act slash finale of this thing, uh, Hellboy and Alice fight some zombies. Fine. No particular problem or grievance with any of this at all. I think those are real people, which kind of adds to it. Well, at least they yeah. look like real people, don't they? Crawling out of the ground. Yeah, I think there's, again, I think it's digital stuff used to enhance what's already there rather than completely building digital characters. Always, always like- better. It looks pretty cool. Mm, yeah, that's, this is another scene that I think works quite well. Certainly the look of the creatures more than that kind of heavy metal comic book gunplay stuff that's going on during it. I'm not a big, I'm not a massive fan of that. Although we do learn that Alice can punch your spirit out. Yes. <laughs> when we kind of meet Nimue again, she makes the interesting decision of when she comes back, killing her entire coven when she comes back, mm-hmm. with the exception of the uh, Benedict Arnold character, uh, Ganeida. 
Yes, yeah. Um, who uh, survives? Hellboy intervenes here, but she's a worthy foe. I quite like. I quite like some of this as well. I mean, Nimue's speech is just ridiculous. Like that. It's just. I mean, the cadence is so strange. Where she takes that big pause and goes, "That is not what I want." It's like, <laughs> what? I, and that's the best take they got. Like, there's no way someone didn't say, "Okay, try it again and try and speak normally." Now, do we think that Mila Jovovich is actually any good? Well, that's a good question because I've, I've heard it argued that this is her worst performance and it's worse than any of the Resident Evils. But I would, I mean, I would argue that she's always this bad. Like, she's always this hammy. Mm. I would say the best thing she's ever done is the fifth element because she didn't have to speak. And even then she kind of overplayed it a little bit. She's like Ruby Rose in John Wick. It's like, even though she's not talking, you're still like, oh, you're doing too much. <laughs> there's too much. I can still see you every time someone else is moving in a scene. You're you're back there. <laughs> you're back there. You're looking. But uh, yeah, like I don't I don't necessarily. I mean, you know, she was really mad at the critics over this movie, and she was like, "Oh, we made this for the fans." It's like, well, the fans of Hellboy didn't like it either. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what are you all about? But yeah, I just thought I thought it was funny because it was like just own up to it and be like, yeah, I was hamming it up. I was having a great time. I thought it suited the tone. She said that she hopes that it becomes a cult classic in time, and who knows, maybe she'll be right. Mm. I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, she tries to recruit Hellboy again at this point. He is still not for it. Also, poisons Alice. Now, I want to talk about how because I think that this film is paced in quite an interesting way, and we talked about the fact that it doesn't bog itself down too much with lengthy patches of exposition and stuff like that. But it's still half an hour too long. Ah, uh, no, it's a perfect length <laughs> with a perfect amount of story, and by that I mean too much, way too much. <laughs> What I thought was interesting about the pacing here was that um, Alice gets poisoned and at this point Gnida directs him to uh, where Merlin is slash is resting because that will be the best means of saving her. This immediately happens. Oh yeah. 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 Like, Mitch, yes. I don't want to get you too furious here but uh, there's a vortex around about this point. Aye, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, there is and she's like, get in. <laughs> <laughs> get, get in, loser. <laughs> yeah, get in, loser. We're going killing. <laughs> when they eventually get to uh i say eventually get to uh get to merlin's resting place when they immediately arrive at merlin's resting place presumably using an interdimensional bullet train mm-hmm. they get there and we learn of course that hellboy had a human mother who married a goat demon that she previously rode like a pegasus oh yes i think the sequences in hell are really cool i think he looks really mm. cool as well <laughs> I love the flashbacks. Oh, yeah. sorry, not even the flashbacks. The kind of glimpses into what Hellboy is going to be, I guess, as Anung and Rama. Like, I think that stuff's great. I feel like if you were going to get a Hellboy tattoo, that's what you'd want. You'd want him what? with like the flaming horns yeah. and you know what I mean? Like the big chest. I'm making it sound a bit homoerotic now. That's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I'm sorry, you haven't mentioned the fact that Merlin is a Dublin man, which sure. I... Yes just love he's like how are you hellboy how's it going you're going to have to get the sword now i mean i love brian gleason but mm-hmm. what the like what the fuck like what i mean what, it's a choice what is happening but i mean <laughs> is it that he can't do another accent because we know donald can do english and he can do american is it just that brian can't do another accent or were they just like you know what it doesn't matter it's fine it just is so jarring when you hear every time he opens his mouth especially when he's like get the sword come on you're running out of time like it's so it's just, strange 
You've now made me think about him being like, you know, like when they were younger, being like the underperforming Gleason at Christmas when they were like putting ah. on shows for the family and stuff. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> but it's funny too, considering that Sasha Lane and Daniel Day Kim are forced against their will to be English, but with Brian Gleason, who's playing Merlin, you know, a known figure in popular uh, culture, they're like, you're grand. The one thing that feels constant across the board here is really, really erratic accent decisions. Yes. <laughs> on top of all, all of the ones that we've just talked about there's also Grugach who oh yeah who was he's played by a scout he's played by a scouser though yeah i know that he's played by a scouser but i feel like that's the one time where it feels like a sh- well like, similarly to having brian gleason just be a Dublin man from being yeah. merlin i think that like Grugach, and we talked about this earlier he must be borderline unintelligible to american audiences big time but we know stephen graham can do an accent too like he did a pretty good american accent in the irishman so they must have reasoned that that would be okay for some reason or would add to the color of the film it all feels a bit drawn from hats yeah, maybe it's it. also because neil marshall's english yes that's what makes it he's even more, weirder maybe he's more comfortable working with people with english or isles accents i don't know i'm talking shit i'm spitballing i'm trying to defend it here and I don't know why, because I don't particularly like it. Do you think that like he stipulates that everyone on the casting crew uh, like roams around using terms like bollocks and todger all the time? <laughs> don't, I still haven't got over the use of the word todger in this film. It, it, that was the most jarring thing for I me. Mean, I wish Brian Gleeson had got to use some Irish slang. Like He could have been like, ah, hell boy, you gobshite, or something. That would have been quite funny. Like, if you're going to make Merlin Irish, lean into it. Exactly. Yeah, that doesn't feel like too much of a reach based on what was already there. Exactly, especially because it was like, this is how we establish someone as English. We find out that Hellboy is heir to King Arthur. Um, yes. And uh, Merlin produces the stone with Excalibur in it and says, pull it out and save humanity. And Hellboy's like, all right. And then continuing on his DiMaggio like streak right. of reneging on deals, uh, again, doesn't do it. <laughs> sure. At which point, Nimue's plague is in full swing. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's uh, spreading a plague through the streets of London, which is quite topical. I was going to say, I feel like the British government had a better reaction to it in this film than they did in real life. Because it's on the TV and she's being like, oh, everyone stay indoors and do not come into contact with anyone who might have the plague. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And then you think about what's actually happening and it's quite sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the second time in the space of a few weeks that someone has picked a film without necessarily remembering that we were going to stumble onto like a pandemic situation because um, a few weeks ago when Natasha Kamani came back on, she did Aeon Flux and the exact same thing happened. Mad. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So like, there's something pandemic-y is operating in people's subconscious right now, I think. <laughs> After we find out that the BPRD has been under attack and everyone has been abducted, we head for our, what is ultimately the kind of final standoff of this thing at St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. Mitch, can I just quickly t- touch on when uh, Old Mo from EastEnders pulls out a submachine gun? Oh, you so cool. <laughs> so cool. And then there's that great moment where they shoot at Hellboy and he goes, hey, I'm on your side. I think that was in the <laughs> teaser trailer. I feel like that was, was one of the first like, things we saw from the movie was him doing that, which was really funny. So Grugach gets kind of a raw end of the deal here as we kind of set up for the final battle. Because we, <laughs> we, we've got a, a, kind of like, there's a scrap goes on between Grugach and Hellboy, which uh, Jaguar Daimyo helps out with because <laughs> he can take the form of a Jaguar, uh, hitherto unexplored power. Sure, yeah. And the Stramash, a boulder falls on him and he's able to extricate himself from that situation by becoming a Jaguar man. <laughs> He also decides not to kill Hellboy. It's like, what's that? And he's like, 
a mistake. <laughs> oh, the giant bullet full of like blue. It looks like blue wicked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the it's like the antidote that that guy taunts Indiana Jones with at the start of Temple of Doom. Exactly. <laughs> and it, but why do we get that shot of it smashing and kind of evaporating? I don't understand what that shot is. I thought well, someone, not, I thought someone was going to oh, lick it or something and be like, "Oh no!" <laughs> Hellboy's like, "Yo, not all manner of like <laughs> religious bones and religious metals and weird stuff in it." Perhaps it's like spirits evaporating so that we know that this stuff could have taken them down. I, again, I'm, again, I'm trying to try to rationalize this. I feel like you like it more than you're letting on. <laughs> I was gonna say. You really do. You're like, but but it does make sense. <laughs> like this is like twice in the last five minutes where me and Joey have been going in way harder on it than you have. And you've been like, guys, guys, guys. Layoffs. It, it does make sense if you think about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Nimue ultimately betrays Grugak and kills him. So uh, yeah, cut down on his prime. Just going to blow by the nature of his death because it's quite funny. It is. <laughs> See, like again, this kind of like th- th- this felt like a massive fuck you to this character. Like <laughs> because like because he's been kind of like a fairly. I mean, I know that I said that his Horcrux hunt felt a little bit accelerated, and I. I stand by that. Hmm. But also, like, I feel like his journey has been fairly central to the whole thing. And he aggressively, like, in what is like an absolutely like unprecedented, no holds barred betrayal, gets the absolute piss ripped out of him till the absolute second that he dies. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the way he dies is that he has shrunk down to tiny size from giant. He's been made giant size and he thinks that's a, a, like an award, but he gets shrunk down to minuscule size and then, I guess, implodes. Yeah. It's very emasculating. It is very emasculating. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he might as well be wearing the little nappy again. 100%. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Resorting back to changeling mode. <laughs> At this point, Hellboy is confronted with Excalibur again, this time fed up with the decaying state of the world, uh, goes for it, mm. grabs it. It's time. Mm, yeah. It's very, uh, very convenient, you know, that it's there. Well, it doesn't actually take Excalibur until what happens with Professor Broom happens here. Oh, are we defending it it again? No, I'm just trying to keep things linear. I'm trying to keep things... Look, I'm just trying to make sure that everything's as it's meant to be. No, you are are right. You are right. You're 100% right. The the triggering incident that leads Hellboy to finally say, fuck it, and pull the sword from the stone, as it were, is that Nimue kills Trevor Brute. Yeah, she slits his throat. Big fingernail. (laughs) <laughs> Despite the fact that, like, as a visual, that feels like it should be quite silly, but I quite liked it. Yeah. The it, fingernail thing. No, yeah. it's good. It's dark, and it's so simple as well. Like, she just yeah. doesn't give a shit. She's just like, well, you're dead now. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the Chow Bella moment from the end of Funny Games. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Just because, just because I want to be the first and only person to make a Michael Haneke reference in a conversation about Hellboy 2019. We Fuck get so. it. You think you're better than us, but you're not. <laughs> Joey, I don't think I've seen fuck all. Like, come on now. There's one thing that we've learned. Anong and Rama lives. Yes, yes. He's alive. And I want to talk about the fact that when the demons emerge from hell, oh God, go on the rampage. Uh, I mean, I'm so uh, in for it. I, I have one, I have written down here one looks like a flaming vagina. Mm hmm. Uh, that was the most memorable one for me. But they just look terrible. I remember when the first trailer oh. came out and the one smashing the bridge. I remember thinking, oh, that shot must not be finished. They must have just thrown <laughs> it in there because, you know, to get the trailer out. And then you see the movie and you think, oh, okay. So th- it was done then. Now, 
it is a shorter sequence than I remember. Because I remember in the mm-hmm. cinema, at least the first time, thinking, oh my god, this is going on forever and these look like shit. But <laughs> it actually, it's, it's quite a violent sequence and the violence is very inventive and really gross. And I just wish the monsters looked better because I feel like the design of the monsters is cool. It's just that the effect kind of let them down. And and that can that effect kind of comes into or kind of leeches its way into the rest of it because there's all sorts of stuff that should be really cool if you were able to pull it off with a better mix of practical and digital exactly. stuff. Like there's so much, there's so many people get bisected, yeah, like, uh, in various different ways. Uh, by the way, my favorite monster is the guy that's walking through the street and he's just obviously been like stamping on people. His legs are like impaled through loads of people. Oh yes, that is a good effect. That does look cool. This feels short for how much there is going on. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. this sure. this feels like something, the scale of it feels like this should be something that you're watching for five or six minutes, but it feels like it's over and done in like 20 seconds. It is a weird mixture of things that look a bit weird and things that are like really cool ideas and some pretty sweet gore as well, I think. Yeah, very good gore and gross. Like proper, proper gross. But again, like I have written down, how is this only a 15 certificate? Wild. Absolutely wild. Do you not think though that the stakes are quite low in this point at this point because although there's the kind of fight we're coming into the final face-off between Hellboy and Nimue, I would have liked to have seen Hellboy take out some of that rage on these demons. Yeah. But the way it all plays out, they kind of just fuck off on their own of their own accord. Well, they get sucked back into hell, which I think yeah. is also a pretty funny moment. I don't think it it was intentionally meant to be funny, but I don't know. It also feels very localized to London. I feel like if I was at home watching it on the TV, I'd be thinking, oh, that's fine. It's only in London. I don't live there. Like, you know, not a dare. To kind of end the madness and to appeal to Hellboy's sense of good and sense of humanity, uh, Alice channels Trevor, who again appears here in uh, like spindly slug form. Yeah, he's a weird flemmy ghost again. Um, A weird CG flemmy ghost with Lovejoy's head. Doesn't he? He acts the hell out of it, though. Oh, brilliant. Except, <laughs> except that bit where he's like, stop being such a little bitch, Hellboy. I was like, oh, okay. You're mean when you're dead. <laughs> like, all of a sudden he's like, because he's always encouraging Hellboy to be more human and, you know, oh, I love you, Hellboy. You're my son. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, you're soft. Yeah, totally. Enough of your ectoplasm sarcasm. I'm trying to think of something better. Give me a minute. He looks like he's topless as well. Like, why is Nick <laughs> Shane not wearing a shirt? I mean, it's is like, he naked in the underworld? He's beaming directly from heaven where he's shirtless on a beach. Hot. I don't think he look, anything about it looks heavenly, Mitch. I'll be honest. It looks. I think, yeah, I quite think it's li- hell, man. Yeah quite limbo-y at, at the very least i think joey this to touch on something that you mentioned earlier you were talking about it when we saw this happen with uh, lady hunting earlier on mm. and you were saying that like it's like it must be a bitter pill to swallow to kind of feel like you're really bringing it acting wise and then get to the other side and see that this is the visual representation of this thing that you felt like you nailed yeah because and they are both actors do really really well in those sequences but it just looks terrible. Yeah, like it I think looks uh, I, th- bad. I think that this in particular must must have been a really bitter pill to swallow on rewatch. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure Ian McShane didn't care 
and what's her name? Sophie Okonedo. She had a uh, wild rose come out around the same time. So I think she probably just, I remember she was interviewed actually, was it on um, Kermoda Mayo? And they didn't even kind of mention Hellboy. They were like, oh, you've got a couple of films out at the moment. And she was just like, yes, wild rose. Very proud of that one. Wild rose. Go see <laughs> that one. Wild rose. <laughs> But, uh, uh, fun fact, I saw Wild Rose and Hellboy the third time in the same day. <laughs> There's a double bill. Sophie Okane Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the worst part was, like I previously mentioned, it was in 40X. Because I knew there were two post-credit sequences and because I was with my good friend who has no taste, this man was excited when The Queen's Corgi was on Netflix. Um, okay. so that's what we're dealing with uh, yep. so it ends everyone leaves obviously we're still sitting there and you know when you're well if you've ever been to 40X there's somebody has to wait in the screen in case something goes wrong so this uh, poor lad he must have been about 18 he's sitting there and he's waiting and waiting and waiting and we're just sitting there waiting for these post credit sequences and after a while he stands up and he goes uh, are you guys going to go or and I'm like there's two post credit sequences sir and I swear he goes you've seen this before <laughs> and then i swear after i love you lobster johnson because obviously we're waiting for the second one he stands up and he goes right i'm going home and just leaves it was about midnight like i felt so terrible for him that man quit his job that night i'm sure he just took off his Cineworld shirt and was like i'm out <laughs> um, just away up the road shirtless like he had love joy oh man yeah but um ultimately here what we have is that uh the channeling of trevor works hellboy kind of like reneges on going to the dark side yet another deal that he bails on he he hacks nimue's head off hooray um i want to make the point at this point that talking severed heads are always funny yeah i wish actually what she said at the start when she's first being put in the box i wish that was funnier like i don't like that she goes no i wish she said something like i'll be back yeah you know, like, I'll get you. It would have suited the, t- the tone like, of the film. Did a, yeah. did a Vigo the Carpathian. I think, what was it? His last words were, death is but a door, time is but a window. I'll be back. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Hellboy's King of England. <laughs> yeah. At this and... point. And I think it's funny that any time this happens in a film. Like King Ralph. What's yeah, your they're point? Always, they're always like, oh, you're King of England now, but it's like never King of Britain. Oh, that's true. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not fighting them on that point. That's fine. If he wants to be King of England and not Scotland, that's okay by me. So it's weird that it's a Neil Marshall thing because this feels like an Americanism to me that I think that people say King of England because it feels more regal. Yeah, definitely. No, I think King Arthur was the King of England. Right, okay. Right, okay. In that case, I don't even want to start unpacking how the rules of that monarchy relate to the rules of the current monarchy then. What I can tell you is I'm just as ambivalent but it's certainly more interesting thinking about Hellboy's Christmas speech. Ha! <laughs> we accept Hellboy as our leader. <laughs> I mentioned King Ralph a minute ago. Does anyone remember that? No. What's that a reference to? King Ralph was a film with John Goodman, right, where uh, he's like the 110th in line to the, the throne of Britain, and uh, all the royal family are killed in a freak electrical accident due to taking a massive photo. So he has to then take on the mantle of being the king of England and he's like into bowling and bevy and stuff like that. It's good. <laughs> that sounds fun. It sounds like a comedy version of Designated Survivor. <laughs> anyway. Wow, okay. Hellboy's king of England at this point, which is kind of our happy ending as it were. Mm-hmm. And then we have a trusty chronology hop to six months in the future. The BPRD with a whole host of new people are busting 
something in Siberia. Mm. Yeah, this, for my money, is the most accomplished single action sequence. It's similar to the troll sequence in how the camera moves. It's like one of them picks up the camera and just runs with it, which I love. I also love their shirts because I have one, the BPRD shirt. Because I'm a cool person. But yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's it's a simple sequence, but it's well done. It's definitely well choreographed anyway. This scene ends and ultimately like the main body of the film ends with a reference. And this this happens all the time with Marvel films and everything with me because I'm always going in with this kind of at best nodding acquaintance with the history of these things. So when they find the big tank, she wipes the dust off and she's like, oh, if you're sapien, does anyone know what that means? I'm like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> well, technically it means fish man, but to anyone familiar with Hellboy, it means Abe Sapien, who is half man, half fish. And uh, as part of the team, ultimately. Yeah, Doug Jones. Yeah, he was played by Doug Jones in the Guillermo del Toro films and voiced once by David Hyde Pierce. And then I believe voiced the second time by Doug Jones doing an impression. Yes, that's correct. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I love Doug Jones. I wish Doug Jones could talk more like in Hocus Pocus when he does Mm. a very good English accent, actually, (laughs) to think about it there. (laughs) No, they should have brought him back for this. I know. I The thing that makes me sad about this ending, though, is that they were really clearly gunning for a sequel, which yep. makes me feel bad. It kind of reminds me of um of Lady Ghostbusters, where at the end they have that reference to Zool, and I'm just like, aw, it's sad. Yeah. You know, you thought you were getting another movie, and yeah. nobody wanted it. I would really like to see how they tackled Abe and how much they changed the design within the kind of constraints of the graphic novels mm-hmm. while at the same time trying not to go too close to the Del Toro thing. I was re- I'd have really been interested to see more than just the hand. I don't know. I wish they had a chance to do the character properly because I would love to see if Doug Jones would have done it. I mean, I suppose mm-hmm. he wouldn't because of his partnership with Del Toro, but it'd be so cool if he did, if he was just like, no, this is my character. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> Effectively, we're kind of done at this point, save the two credit sequences, which I think that we've spoken about so much we have to address. Oh my god, I love... <laughs> I mean, I I kind of love both of them. I realised that the second one I needed explained to me, because I didn't understand that that was Rasputin at all. Yeah. Oh, even though okay. he Even though he showed... Well, sorry, you know, people think it's Rasputin. Sorry, I don't know who it is. But because he shows up earlier in the film, I'm like, oh, I, I get how we're supposed to connect the two. But I feel like if you're not familiar at all with that world it's really weird why do you think it's someone else oh i have no fucking idea <laughs> come on Mitch. I, was gonna, I, was, I, was, I was gonna say you are you're one of like oh you're breaking up the wrong tree with that one pal i have no idea i thought it was rasputin yeah i think it's rasputin but um like that's a good moment obviously because you see baba yaga again and it's so cool but i love lobster johnson and i love the i love you lobster johnson so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's lame like, and nerdy. So yeah, it's really silly, but really fun. And with that, we are out on Hellboy 2019. Andy, you first. Yeah, I think this is a film that... I know I said that I really think David Harbour's great in it, and I think he deserved better, and I stand by that. It's a film with a cast as well who you kind of expect better from, and I expect... I don't, don't know, actually know if I expect better from Neil Marshall nowadays. Because I think after The Descent, I wasn't a big fan of Doomsday. I wasn't a fan of Centurion. 
I think mm. it's called. Mm-hmm. Don't really count individual episodes of Game of Thrones, except for the guy can obviously put together an action sequence, and that's on show here. He did a battle with season know. two, didn't he? Game of Thrones. Mm. He, uh, he just... did Westworld as well. He did a few on Westworld that were pretty gory. That's how you know it's him. <laughs> it just feels a bit hollow. Oh. I would say that, so obviously first watch for me, and like we say, I'm kind of like a, a first real delve into basically anything Hellboy related to me. Um, sure. I thought for about the first half hour of this, I was going to absolutely hate it. Like, mm. um, <laughs> like, I, like I really felt like, with the exception of the actual opening sequence, which I thought was quite cool, I remember being like, there were so many moments of individual irritation that I could think of, <laughs> where I was like, oh god, that's nipping my fucking head. Oh, so is that. But and it's it's gonna sound like totally damning with faint praise, but by the end of it, it kind of come from being something that I was like, I can't believe there is ninety minutes left of this, to something that I kind of fitfully enjoyed. Hmm. I, I, right. I think that, like there's there's elements of it where I'm just like, that feels like such a baffling choice that I can't, I I have no idea how many pairs of eyes had to look at that and say yes to it before it reached me. Hmm. If that makes sense, but like, but I think that like I've seen far worse comic book adaptations and things like that. It's not really my thing but i would say that like ultimately it's not like i mean i think it's it's same with something ludicrous like 17 percent on rotten tomatoes it's not half as bad as that like i mean like it's like it's well, not it's got, like it's got 5.2 or something on imdb so it's that... firmly straddling that middle line which mm. i think is fair yeah that feels um... near the mark to me i would say yeah like i i didn't love it there was a couple of individual sequences and we've spoken about them already that i thought were really great and i think that you can tell that it's largely a director that's previously done horror that's helming it and i think that it's a better film for that but um i wouldn't race back to it and i feel like um whether or not i go back and watch the del toro ones i am not sure i i don't think it sold me on necessarily wanting any more of it is what i would say hmm. right okay you know um but joey thank you as always for stacking the deck against yourself massively and going in absolutely fearlessly we expected no less and we appreciate it and we respect it <laughs> i just i don't know i like i feel like it's funny you guys mentioned marvel i feel like i've sat through 20 marvel movies and i mean some of them are just so boring and self-satisfied and i feel like at least this movie doesn't have that you know at least it knows what it is i think what you guys are saying about the like the low rotten tomato score too i mean that just i feel like that's snobbery more than anything else because i know this comes up every year but when a new Marvel movie comes out and everyone's just like wanking all over it mm-hmm. and you're like, it's not that good. And they're talking about submitting it for the Oscars and stuff. I feel like it's, you know, it's the opposite side of the spectrum where it's like, well, it's not that bad. And I will say, even though <laughs> Mila kind of has her nipples out for the whole time, um, at least it's not offensive in its, you know, depiction of women it's got quite mm. a colorblind cast, you know what I mean? Like Sasha Lane's in a lead role and Daniel Day Kim's in a lead role. Yeah, so I yeah. feel like all of that stuff kind of works yeah. in its favor. But remember, that was only because Ed Screen pulled out, so... That's true, which, yeah, that's a bit dodgy. And I mean, fair play to him, because that definitely, if it's an Asian character, it should be an Asian actor, no question. I, I think that's like that's a very admirable move on his part, I think. He was the first actor in a big film like this to actually take that stance and say nah i'm not doing not doing this especially after like what happened with scarlett johansson where she just doubled down and was like i should be able to play anything i should be able to play a tree if i want to it's like eh, missing the point there like at least yeah. he didn't 
You know what I mean? At least he didn't put his foot in his mouth. He was just like, no, this shouldn't be me. And it would have been, I mean, he hasn't got a massive, massive career either. Like it probably would have been a big boon for him to be in this, even if it is a piece of shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely not. Like like, in terms of like a platform, it would have been massive. Like, um, but you're right. I think as well, I mean, like, and you're right enough. I mean, like, I think that with, with, like I say, that exception, obviously the circumstances surrounding that is a little bit weird, but yeah, like it's like a reasonably diverse cast. And like I say, it doesn't have a lecherous director's camera at all. Yeah, which I, I'm sorry, like, it's terrible. I, mean, I, I know you guys know because you're both horror fans. When you're watching horror movies and you're just sick of the same old thing, it's like, it's been 50 years. Why are we still doing this? And why are people still getting away with this? It's just such a relief when you see something like this, like Sasha Lane is just dressed kind of in combat gear. And you're like, yeah, grand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Joey, before we wrap up, what's going on with you? Anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to take a minute to plug? I'm trying to think. I mean, I wrote an essay about Hellboy. <laughs> Well, that feels relevant, yeah. It's uh, the title for it is "Sorry Haters: The New Hellboy Rocks." Amazing. <laughs> and I was really proud of that clickbaity title, but I'm annoyed because it didn't get people as mad as I thought it would. So, oh, it's it's time for a second wave. I think we should share the hell out of that and try and stoke people up again. Like, I'll definitely share it when I'm sharing this episode as well. But like, you'll find it easy enough just searching that title or searching me and Hellboy because you know, pretty it's synonymous with it now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you, you are also kind of dying alone on that hill, so yeah. Yeah, you are an island. I mean, I don't think that's true. I have a couple of friends who like it behind closed doors. Uh, like me? And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, also the one who loves the Queen's Corgi. He very proudly likes it, which I just realise isn't really in its favour. But... Hey, okay. <laughs> Any port in a storm, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's the Hellboy essay. Anything else uh, Anything else doing the rounds right now or just in general where people can find uh, you and your writing? So I'm on Twitter at JoeyLDG, which is Living Dead Girl because that used to be my blogging name. Yes. Mm, yes. Because um, that was cool, obviously. But um, yeah, you'll find me on there being snarky and defending Queen of the Damned and defending Hellboy. What will I, I defend think- next? <laughs> How about we like, review this in December? <laughs> It's, it's like, yeah. like it's gonna be fucking suicide squad isn't it or batman and robin because i have also written an essay oh. in defense of that we recently told someone that they couldn't do batman versus superman so oh yeah i feel that, like that, that, i feel like i would be caught in controversy by what was the reasoning that. just you guys didn't want to yeah. watch it again quite frankly i didn't want to watch it again. That, but again um, Again, comparison to Hellboy. Hellboy is so colourful and it's such an easy watch. Like, Batman versus Superman is such a slog. <laughs> Joey, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for again. having me. It's a blast. It's always a blast. Ah, no, anytime. How great was it to have Joey back? Amazing. Amazing. I, I love having Joey on. She's hilarious. Yes, she is. It's always nice to have somebody on that's funnier than us. We can just kind of sit back and let them do the work. <laughs> <laughs> Big thank you to Joey Keo though, for joining us for a second time, 64 weeks on from our first appearance to talk Hellboy 2019. Great time as always. However, we're just about done for another one now, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. There's very little left to do, Mitch, except wrap this up yeah and in doing so point you in the direction of monday where we'll be back with another mini-sode for your ears we'll be doing all the usual stuff on there of course we'll be taking a look at what we've been watching reasonable amount of stuff this week must say building up a nice wee nice wee bank of stuff i'm not going to talk about it on the show but i got my hands on the 4k ultra hd blu-ray of jaws that sounds like good comfort lockdown viewing yeah it's my favorite film yeah i was gonna say no good for you man good for you you deserve it 
you enjoy it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about what I've been watching. We'll be taking a look at my 90s side quest, which I'm currently working on. It's got to be Wishmaster, surely. I'm not saying a word. It's maybe, uh... Wish- it's maybe Wishmaster. Uh, we'll also be taking a look at uh, your feedback and playing Mitch's pictures as well and letting you know all you need to know for next week's episode. In the meantime, though, by all means, get in touch with us. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email scenes at gmail.com or join in the ever-livening discussion in our Facebook group, The Child Locker. Yes, and of course, check out our website, strongviolentpod.com, where you can find links to just about everywhere you can listen to us. You can also find links to our T Public page. And whenever we're allowed to do them again, that's where you'll also find information about live shows. All this and more coming Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.